Hi everybody, welcome to What She Reads. Wannabe writer reviews books she's currently reading from a craft perspective. I'm your host, JJ, the she in the title of What She Reads. Welcome to episode one. The general concept of the podcast is I, as a reader who also writes, take the two most recent novels I've read and discuss them within the confines of a specific element of craft and or structure. I keep things light and casual, this is a podcast after all, to celebrate awesome writers and encourage new ones to go do some more writing. The books of choice are plucked from my or the local library shelves with no real intention for specific comparison, just books I want to read. So I read them and I talk about them for you all. Good books always have great craft. Today I'm going to be talking about Less by Andrew Sean Greer and Instructions for a Heatwave by Maggie O'Farrell. I had the pleasure of meeting Andrew Sean Greer at a book event a few months ago, where he was promoting the sequel of Less, called Less is Lost. The sequel is now on my TBR, of course. And he was absolutely lovely, so friendly and charming. I want to read everything he writes, just purely because he was such a nice guy. Unfortunately, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Maggie O'Farrell, but I did have the pleasure of first being introduced to her work through her novel, Hamnet. Go read it if you haven't yet. It deserves every word of praise you might have heard. I know it was pretty popular for a while. So perhaps I'll do a rereads episode and review it. But we're not here to talk about Greer's sequel or Hamnet. We're here for less and instructions for a heat wave. We'll take them one at a time. But first, allow me to introduce today's craft topics. Movement in time and perspective slash point of view. By movement in time, I'm referring to the use of flashback or micro scenes from a character's past that help inform the present. Both novels utilize this technique in similar ways. The key to the structure for both novels is the use of a current timeline and specific situation slash plot that allows the reader to be grounded in the present while jumping back and forth between this current timeline and past events that inform where the character is and how the character is feeling in the present timeline. I'll be more specific once I move into discussing each novel. I'm guessing most of you know what is meant by perspective slash point of view. I'll be using these terms pretty interchangeably. By this I mean beyond first slash second slash third person, to what character is telling the story, whose head we're in, whose thoughts we are getting, and how this perspective impacts the way the story is told. Again, more specifics to follow for each novel, but let's begin. I'm going to be starting with Less by Andrew Sean Greer, and I did just want to give a spoiler warning for this novel and also the next novel that I'm going to be talking about. Um, But yeah, I'm going to be giving away pretty much how the book ends in this conversation so if that doesn't bother you keep listening if it does go read this book and then come back and listen to the episode um but yeah let me go ahead and read the back of the book for you give you a little summary of what this book is about if you haven't heard of it or if you have read it but it was a while ago and you need a reminder so here we go you are a failed novelist about to turn 50 a wedding invitation arrives in the mail Your boyfriend of the past nine years is engaged to someone else. You can't say yes. It'd be too awkward. You can't say no. It would look like defeat. On your desk are invitations to half-baked literary events around the world. Question. How do you arrange to skip town? Answer. You accept them all. What could possibly go wrong? Thus begins an around-the-world-in-80-days fantasia that will take the novelist Arthur Less to Mexico, Italy, Germany, Morocco, India, and Japan, and put thousands of miles between him and the plight he refuses to face. Welcome to the bestseller embraced by readers everywhere. 
a love story, a satire of the American abroad, a rumination on time in the human heart. Less shows the writer at the peak of his talents, raising the curtain on our shared human comedy. All right, so as the novel does, I will be referring to our main character, Arthur Less, by his last name, Less. Let's first start with structure in regards to movement and time. Remember what I said about having a current timeline plot to ground the reader? For Less, we follow the main character, Arthur Less, as he goes traveling around the world. The scenes and events that take place while Less is visiting various locations are interspersed with flashbacks from and reflection on his past lovers, Freddie and Robert. Less is, I think, at its heart, a love story, and this book knows what it is. It's about other things too, the writerly life, for example, because Les is a novelist, but mainly it's a rumination on love and relationships. Therefore, it makes a point to examine the two most significant love affairs of our main character's life. Freddie, his casual, not quite casual lover for the past nine years, and the man Les was with before him for a long, long time, with whom Les lived with for many years, Robert. So, movement and time. Let's take a look at a few brief lines and passages to get an idea of how Greer moves around in time, but keeps the reader on track. To introduce the character of Freddy, Les reflects on the first time they met. How could he know that nine years lay beyond the door? I like this line because we're occupying a dual understanding. Less pre-Freddy and less post-Freddy. It's a good example of how the older self slash character is able to look back on past memories with the insight of the now, rather than stuck in the moment of not knowing. I think sometimes we writers shy away from being explicit. We like to try and keep things implicit. We want readers to connect the dots, and this is often a good thing. But I think it's also important to remember balance. That you need to give your reader enough guidance to follow along or actually be able to connect those dots. A confusing or frustrated reader isn't a happy reader. Not everything has to be a mystery, you know? Signposting and timestamps can be helpful tools, so use them. For example, Greer here says, It was the early days. He was so young. Maybe 22. And, and then comes Freddy, 20 years later. And, Les is 44. All of these let the reader understand the passage of time and its significance. Greer allows the character, Les, to explicitly acknowledge why he is connecting the two memories, 20 years apart, with two different lovers. I once was discussing a draft of a story I was working on with a mentor, and talking about my thinking behind it, what was going on behind the scenes with the main character, the so what of the scene, essentially. And she gave me feedback that stuck with me, and is relevant here. She said something along the lines of, All that, everything you're saying is so interesting. Put it on the page. Don't be afraid to put that down concretely, to say what it is you're wanting to say. Make it present, and make sure it comes through. So I pass this advice on to you. You know the reason behind your character reminiscing on a particular memory? Put the reason down on the page. Let the character think aloud. Let the reader in on the secret. I'll highlight one more example of movement and time for this novel before moving on to discussion on perspective. I want to talk briefly about the benefits of in-scene flashback as opposed to summarizing. There's a scene around 200 pages into the novel where Les is imagining what Freddy must be doing um, at that moment off on his honeymoon. So he takes a personality trait of Freddy's, which is being a little bit OCD about folding clothes in terms of packing, with a period of time slash memory that's been established previously, which is a trip that Les and Freddie went to 
um, to Paris and using it as a way into Les's emotions. Greer puts this moment into scene, a period of happy love between the two men, then juxtaposes it against their current not-togetherness. Here's the line. Surely this is why he never calls to wish Les a happy birthday. So much implicit emotion packed into a little page worth of a moment. The power of the micro scene, or the flashback, to put you into it, into that hazy, good times, only to draw you back out. Remind you, slash less reminding himself, of his current reality. His former love is married to someone else, and no longer cares enough about him to call and wish him a happy birthday. Less moves between these things. Um, less is imagining that Freddie must be packing his memory of that experience of being with Freddie on a trip and Freddie's packing and turns it into this poignant realization. Okay, I'm gonna move on now to perspective slash point of view for less. Um, now this bit is quite spoilery, uh, so again, exit out if you're still wanting to read this book without knowing kind of how it ends first. The narrator of the story acts as a mysterious thread throughout the novel, becoming clearer and clearer who it must be as we get closer to the end. It's a fun added layer to the story that otherwise basically reads as close third, but it technically is in the first person. The quote-unquote I, the narrator, is just solely focused on Les's story and has access to Les's thoughts and feelings, so it's easy to forget that there is a narrator until he slips into his own perspective. Here's the big spoiler. The narrator is Freddy, Les's lost love who is, in the present time of the novel, getting married to another man. So this begs the question, why tell it from Freddy's perspective? Why add in this element? Why is the novel not just in close third? Um, in case you don't know that lingo, by close third I just mean the third person, which uses he slash she slash they for the main character rather than coming from the I perspective. I did this, I did that. It's he did this, he did that. And it has unlimited access to the character's thoughts and feelings. So I personally think, um, again, as I said, it is adding another layer to the novel. This book is a love story. Consider the intimacy implied by the fact that Freddy is recounting Les's story, or moments from his life, in vivid detail, with the thoughts that cross Les's mind, the emotions he's having. This fact suggests the openness between these two characters, that Les must have told Freddy everything about what happened on his trip, in order for Freddy to be able to retell it to the reader. There's something romantic about that, isn't there? Maybe I'm just romantic. Um, second spoiler... Freddy and Les get back together, or actually, I guess we just assume they do because of the fact that Freddy confirms it is him telling the story or writing the book. The book ends with a lovely description of Freddy waiting on the porch of Les's house to greet him stumbling home from his trip abroad. We don't see them meet or speak, or even the moment Les realizes Freddy is there waiting for him. But by now we know both Les and Freddy have come to realize how much they mean to each other. The payoff is the feeling that they will be making up in the moments after the book ends. A good ending made possible in part by the unique choice for point of view. I read a quote once that was said something along the lines of, the story doesn't end until the reader would be able to picture that main character going off and continuing to live their lives, um, if that makes sense. And I think the uh, this ending that I'm describing is a good example of that. Um, because we don't see the resolution between the two characters. We've already learned so much about them that we feel like we can picture how it's going to happen. 
So, yeah. I'll touch on another aspect of this. Um, If I hadn't made it clear up until now, uh, though the narration is from Freddy's point of view, the first half of the book is very subtle about this. We get only a few sentences from the eye, aka Freddy's perspective, here and there. So the reader is aware the narrator is someone who's met less, probably someone who knows him well, but I'd argue it isn't immediately obvious that the narrator is Freddy. Namely because Freddy talks about himself in the third person several times. As the book goes on, though, Greer gives us more clues. There's a line that describes Les's kissing technique. He kisses, how do I explain it, like someone in love. So we know the narrator is someone Les has kissed. The real shift or clue comes towards the last quarter of the novel when the narrator is talking about himself and the fact that he cried the morning of the wedding. My experience reading this was excitement, a confirmation of the growing suspicion that Freddy is the narrator, and it's satisfying, it's exciting, wanting to know how the two characters are going to come together again. So this is all I'll really say about point of view for this novel. It plays around with what perspective can add to a story, what a narrator other than the main character of the novel can voice that the main character wouldn't be able to. Freddie paints less as so lovable, a hero he refers to him multiple times, that it's impossible not to fall in love with less too, as the narrator has. A technique slash novel structure that's worth trying out if you think it would make sense for whatever story you're trying to tell. I'll speak to this idea some more as I transition into my discussion on my second novel pick for this episode, Instructions for a Heatwave by Maggie O'Farrell. Again, brief spoiler warning for this one. Um, I won't be giving away the ending entirely like I did for less, but I'll still, you know, be talking in depth about some of the situations in the novel. So I'm also, again, going to read the back of the novel to give you guys an idea of what it's all about. Here we go. London, 1976. In the thick of a record-breaking heatwave, Greta Riordan's newly retired husband has cleaned out his bank account and vanished. Now, for the first time in years, Greta calls her children home. Michael Francis, a history teacher whose marriage is failing. Monica, whose blighted past has driven a wedge between her and her younger sister. And Aoife, the youngest, whose new life in Manhattan is elaborately arranged to conceal a devastating secret. In a story that stretches from New York's Upper West Side to a village on the coast of Ireland, Maggie O'Farrell reveals the fault lines over which we build our lives. Instructions for a heatwave weaves an unforgettable narrative of a family falling apart and coming together with hard-won, life-changing truths about who they really are. Okay, I'm going to start with talking about point of view this time. O'Farrell utilizes four perspectives in this novel, the mother, Greta, and her three children, Michael Francis, the oldest son, Monica, the middle sister, and Aoife, the youngest. I do want to take a moment here to apologize for the fact I am likely butchering and will continue to butcher the name Aoife. It's Irish, spelled A-O-I-F-E, and though the book describes it as a mix of Ava and Eva and Eve, the character also says that her Irish mother is really the only person who can pronounce it correctly. So me, an American, not Irish, um, I'm probably saying it wrong, but I will be pronouncing it Aoife because that is what I found on Google. So O'Farrell uses a clever tactic to instigate a shifting perspective between the four family members, one I would highly recommend exploring if you find yourself writing a multi-point-of-view story. We're introduced to each character's perspective separated by chapter for the first four chapters. This allows the reader to get a sense of voice and life situation for each character. 
After this is established, O'Farrell then goes on to blend perspectives within a chapter, within the same scenes, sometimes even within the same paragraph. It creates an interesting dynamic that allows the reader to understand how multiple characters, rather than just one, are feeling during a given scene. So thinking back to what I said earlier about perspective and type of story, this book is about family, simple as that. It's about dynamics within a family, between mother and child, and sibling to sibling, misunderstandings and how honesty and openness can bring families closer together. In this family of five portrayed within the novel, O'Farrell explores the way each character is understanding or misreading another family member, and how these at times fraught relationships can be healed or strengthened with a willingness to communicate and to trust. I'll read out a scene to you, for example, slightly abridged. So Aoife, away in Manhattan for a few years, returns home at the news of her father's disappearance. Her homecoming scene mixes her perspective and her mother's. Listen to how O'Farrell moves between the two, and consider what this does for the scene. Mom, Aoife says, it's me. Aoife? It strikes Eva in that moment that her mother is the only one who can properly pronounce her name. The only person whose mouth it sounds as it should. Aoife, she says, exactly, and like no one else. Yes, Aoife replies and puts down the duffel bag. There is a woman standing at the end of the path speaking to Greta in a voice she knows. Dear God, Greta says, is that you? And then she has the girl by the arm, by the neck, by everything, her third child, her surprise, her baby, her heartache. It's probably slightly more difficult to catch this switch with just audio and no reference text, but hopefully you sensed it with the use of Greta's name. The woman referenced is, of course, Aoife, there at the end of the path, calling to her mother, to Greta. I imagine there are other books and other authors that have employed this technique, but in my experience, this technique is rarer than the more traditional chapter-by-chapter separation of point of view. I find it makes the scene more evocative, expansive, and tender, than if O'Farrell had instead chosen to confine the moment only to Aoife's perspective or only Greta's. So if you're working on something with multiple perspectives and find yourself struggling with repetition when switching between characters, consider trying out this tactic instead. Unbind yourself. Write one scene, but slip between perspectives. The shift will be clear to your readers so long as you attend to voice in some sort of tag, such as naming the character or their physical description, etc., especially in a scene between two people such as I've just read. The use of mother and child reference words makes for a clean move between the two speakers. All right, so let's move into how O'Farrell employs movement and time. Similarly to Greer's Less, O'Farrell provides a current timeline, the disappearance of their dad, to keep the reader grounded. But since this is a story about family, We get lots of flashbacks or recountings of childhoods and past altercations with one another. Each of the four characters have an individual drama-slash-secret outside of their missing father-slash-husband. Brief examples, Michael Francis cheated on his wife and their marriage is crumbling. Monica is similarly discontent in a marriage with two stepdaughters that hate her. I could speak more to this, but I'm feeling reluctant to divulge the secrets, since that would spoil the entire novel and take away a lot of the mystery. If you are to read this book after listening to me discuss it here, um, yeah, I just want to give you the option to find out some of that stuff on your own. And you definitely should go read it. But you'll just have to trust me when I say O'Farrell layers a lot of memories on top of one another in a way that subtly builds characters up, lets the readers understand them, and forces the characters to recolor their understandings of each other, and of specified moments in childhood slash the past. 
one of my favorite threads in the novel, and a good example of what I'm talking about here is the big altercation slash misunderstanding between Aoife and Monica that happened prior to Aoife's move to Manhattan, and has caused Monica to stop speaking to Eva for reasons that Eva doesn't entirely understand. From both Eva and Monica's perspectives, O'Farrell slowly slips in more and more references and micro-scenes slash mini-flashbacks that reveal what happened between the two of them, and how both characters interpreted what happened, because, little mini-spoiler here, Monica made an incorrect assumption, one that she never talked to Aoife about and forced them into disconnect. By micro-scene or mini-flashback, I mean something like this abridged scene I'll read for you now from Monica's perspective. Where, where had the cat gone? It must be here somewhere. Aoife strangely resurfaced in her mind again. Grown up, now, no longer in school socks. In the hospital that time, Aoife leaning over the dish before the nurse came to take it away. In one sentence, O'Farrell transports us from one place to another. In the hospital that time. And this is a key memory that plays into the falling out between Monica and Aoife. I'm only providing a glimpse of it here. But this moment in particular is masterfully done on O'Farrell's part. How Monica slips from the present into past. A powerful blending of the two. And for another tiny spoiler to articulate myself better here. These two things are the death of a cat and the memory of a miscarriage. So, yes. That is all I will say about instructions for a heatwave. Go read this book. And less. There's some really beautiful moments in both of them, and they are both great guides for how perspective and movement in time can shape the meaning-making of a story. Okay, I'm going to end here for today. I hope I've convinced you to check out these two novels and given you a few things to chew on in your writerly pursuits. Thank you for tuning in this week. I'll be back again next Friday for a discussion on two not-yet-announced novels. Happy reading. Happy writing.